The new year is as much a time to look forward as it is to look back. What are we going to do differently in 2024? Where do we leave money on the table in 2023? As you craft your strategy to make 2024 the best year yet, consider leveraging better tools to get a better outcome. Yelp Guest Manager pairs the largest consumer network in the country with reservation and waitlist software designed to ensure you're as busy as possible. From large parties to last-minute diners, capture 100% of the demand for your restaurant. To see the growth potential for your restaurant, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp for a free evaluation and start 2024 strong. Now here we go. That's been a huge part of it is just learning to take a deep breath, accept mistakes, and then hopefully at some point those mistakes stop being so common and then everything starts to click. People watch the bear and they're like, oh, you guys are so calm. Well, no, this is how it should be. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Are you on track to hit your profitability goals for this year? If you're struggling to hit your numbers, I might be able to help. Here's how I do it. Every year, I offer five complimentary growth sessions to restaurant owners looking to scale. In this call, we'll examine your current situation to see what is and isn't working. We'll identify your growth possibilities by the close of the year. We'll uncover the number one thing holding you and your business back. And we'll develop a growth plan that will get your business results. Go to planwithjosh.com to schedule one of the five complimentary growth sessions. They're going to go quickly. They always do. Over the years, we've had a ton of industry veterans on the show. There is so much to learn from someone who's owned and operated a restaurant for decades. But some of the new kids on the block have a lesson or two up their sleeves as well. Today, we're chatting with Colin Wyatt, a seasoned chef who left New York City in an effort to build something for himself. Today, we discuss the path that led to his first restaurant and the lessons he's learned since opening it almost two years ago. So I came into cooking, got my interest at a young age. I would say like I'm one of the generations that came up watching the Food Network. Being involved in that, seeing Emeril Lagasse on TV or whomever it was and watching these chef restaurateurs kind of have their own shows and kind of putting out their thoughts out there. And so I took that and without ever having really worked in a kitchen before, got a job in a kitchen. And then eventually came time for me to decide whether I wanted to have a nine to five job or just start working in restaurants. So I picked a restaurant in Portland, Maine, worked there for five years. And at that point, I thought, okay, worked here, I got some experience. And for me, it was, let's take the next step. So Instead of going to Boston or another area close by that maybe was a little bit bigger, I just said, let's just dive in, just go to New York City. So very fortunate at the time, not as much now, but like back then it was really hard to get work in New York City, especially if you were a chef that had zero New York City experience. But I managed to get in the door at Danielle Restaurant and three years later, I left that restaurant and 
bounced around for a little bit and then ended up at 11 Madison Park. And I was there for about seven years. So that experience kind of just when you're in the industry, like you get to know people, had a friend that worked there that recommended it to me. And a lot of it is about connections. You just happen to know one person. The other bit of it is just going in there and just pretending like you belong. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It's great that you got the jobs, but I mean, people get fired all the time. The trick is in staying and being useful. And so there's no doubt in my mind that it was a perpetual bloodbath around you with people getting let go, new people coming in as, as they're constantly trying to elevate these programs. How did you stay? I mean, you look at any term in a restaurant and it's like dog years and you spent a decade at two of the most prestigious restaurants in the world. So what is it that you think you did differently that enabled you to not only earn that seat, but to keep that seat? I mean, I'm stubborn as hell. Positives and negatives come along with that. When I walked through that door, I set a goal for myself. So when I got to Danielle, I wanted to go through every station. And no matter how hard it was, no matter what the issues were, what somebody said to me, I had to shake that off turn around, come back in the next day and just do it all over again. And living in New York, your subway time is like, that is your personal time. That is your personal space. So for me, it was coming home each night thinking about, all right, that's what happened that night. This is how I'm going to be able to do it differently. And then every morning waking up, getting back on that train and being like, okay, how am I going to do this day differently? What am I going to do? How am I going to attack this job. I already know what I have to do. And I just mentally prepared that way, reassessing my day on the night home and then kind of planning out in my mind what that day was going to look like as soon as I walked through that door. And those moments on the train, that hour and a half, sometimes two hours on the train, just that was my time to really get myself ready to walk in the door when I got to that restaurant. What you're talking about is intention, which I don't think is an average conversation that's had within our industry, especially as it relates to culinary and line level work. Has that been a trend throughout your entire career that you have been just very methodical, very intentional on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis? Yeah. I mean, probably sometimes that I think being so methodical can take away some of the creativity, some of the freeness and openness that I think that I need to work on personally. But it's also allowed me to succeed in a lot of ways. So I think there needs to be a balance of being very methodical, but also you got to learn to go with the flow sometimes. I mean, you were in the industry, you know, it's like you walk in there and something awful happens. You got to learn how to react to it. It doesn't matter how well you plan out your day, what you do. So you have to be able to just sort of take a moment, look at it, say, which direction am I going to go? Am I going to keep my cool and just go with the flow here? Or is it going to just derail my whole day and I'm in the shit? You have both. You have experiences and you kind of try to learn from those experiences. So being methodical and being intentional about how you do everything, that sets you up for success. But then you got to learn how to be a little bit creative in the moments. Talk to me about that decision, though, because that's certainly a paradigm shift that we've seen throughout your generation within our industry, right, is the difference between putting your hand on somebody's shoulder and saying, listen, 
You've misfired this dish three times. I'm going to walk through it with you to make sure that you get it right moving forward. And then hitting somebody over the head with a skillet. <laughs> and you see, right? You see both today. But I mean, when you were coming up, there was really only that second path that I mentioned. So how did you model that intentional, calm behavior despite the conventional wisdom of the industry? I mean, I don't always. And especially then I didn't always. That is probably the biggest thing. So during the pandemic, like a lot of people, I lost work. I We made some life changes. My wife, my family, my daughter, we all moved to Maine. I was out of work for a while. And I clearly saw what was happening to the industry around me. I worked in very intense environments, never violent, but intense. And I carried that. That was where I worked. That was what I saw. It was a big part for me is learning to just be accepting of mistakes, working with people. And to your point, you see somebody make a mistake three or four times. You want to just be like, at some point, you got to figure this out, right? But you have to just kind of see it from their perspective. And I think that's a big part of it. It's just kind of like, what is happening in their world that isn't allowing them to figure this out? As opposed to from my end being, this is ridiculous. You got to have this done. Why are we making this happen right now? So that's been a huge part of it is just learning just to take a deep breath, accept mistakes, and then hopefully at some point those mistakes stop being so common and then everything starts to click. It helps we have a very open kitchen. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> people watch Gordon Ramsay, people watch The Bear, and they're like, oh, you guys are so calm. And it's like, no, no, this is how it should be. So here's a question for you. So I became far more tolerant of other people's mistakes when I became far more tolerant of my own. My excuse for being so intolerant is I was as brutal with myself as I was with others for the earliest stages, let's call it the first 10 years of my career. I beat myself up as much as I beat anyone else up over any mistakes that were made. So in becoming kinder and more understanding and more patient with other people, have you found that you've become more kind and patient with yourself? I have become a lot more honest with myself about my shortcomings and whether I'm kinder to myself. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I'm at least honest with myself. And I'm honest with the people around me about the mistakes that I make and the growth that I'm trying to do. So like if I have a moment where I'm like, you know what, guys, I lost my cool there. That was not okay. Here's what I should have done differently in this moment. And I'm sorry that happened. And I want you to know that if it happens again, you can always hold me accountable. And that's something that I think about all the time. And I have to constantly just remind myself, was that the right way to handle it? Was that the right thing to do? And then just be honest about it with the people that you work with rather than just hide it or pretend like I'm infallible. Whatever I say is always going to be correct, always going to be right. But it's definitely something that has allowed me to be much more forgiving towards other people's mistakes, for sure. At some point, I'll be kind to myself. <laughs> Figures crossed. Yeah. 
so you and I ended up in very similar places. So when the pandemic hit, I sold all of the restaurants that I was actively operating and I moved south to San Diego. We had family there. We had a young child. So it made sense because we needed the support. Everything was closed in L.A. But when I look back on it now, hindsight being 2020, I was very much walking away from something and at the same time, very much walking towards something. I wasn't living the healthiest lifestyle imaginable. I feel like the best coaches may have made the most mistakes. And I would argue I've made more mistakes than most. And so as a result, I was walking away from poor decisions that I had made, a poor lifestyle that I had adopted and all of these other things. And then walking towards what at the time I didn't know was going to be a new horizon and a new possibility. In leaving New York under the difficult circumstances that you left with a global pandemic and everything else and walking into an uncertain future, was there an intention for the move? What were your hopes in that moment? Yeah, our intention was, so my wife grew up in Maine. I lived in Maine. That's where I met her. We had always thought, you know, one day we'll move back. But once you get in it, once you're in restaurants, she was busy. We were both focused on our careers. We had a young child. You're barely just shredding water, keeping your head above the water. So all of a sudden the pandemic happens and I can actually like take a deep breath and look around and kind of examine the life that I was living. And at that point, I didn't see any reason why not to go. I didn't see any reason why I couldn't just work on some stuff that I just had neglected for a long time. And I think that was a big part of it was like, all right, here's our chance to work on some things that we've been talking about working on my relationship with my wife, spending more time with my kid, all those things that I felt that I was falling short on. Now I had this free time, this opportunity to do that. But let me ask you, did you feel guilty about watching all the other people in the restaurant industry trying to figure everything out? Did you feel like that maybe it was a little bit easier on you to take a step out of it and watching other people kind of struggle and try to survive the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, that's why I built the show. You look at the fine dining restaurant, just as an example, a rent was $21,000 a month. How many burgers am I going to have to sell out of the back door of that thing in the middle of a global pandemic just to make my nut? And then you have a choice. And this is how it was, at least in the early stages with most landlords, like in the early stages, nobody was going to negotiate. So it was easier to say, I'm not doing this. I'm going to close up shop and I'm selling it as opposed to saying, I'm going to pay you $2,000 a month for the next 12 months. And then at some point, a hundred years from now, get you the rest of the backed rent. So, I mean, yeah, I felt incredibly guilty. I've always felt very tied to the industry at large outside of the individual restaurants that I own. And I mean, you know how it is. Everyone that I know is in the industry. It's my network, my family, my friends. So yeah, how did you deal with that? Like I said, I kind of just focused on the things that I just neglected for so long, primarily being with family, taking care of my family obligations that took the back burner more often than not. And I'm glad I did that. I'm glad it's really helped out with our relationships. But like looking back on it at the same time, Saw a lot of friends struggle, saw a lot of restaurants that I love struggle. And to be honest with you, I probably could have done more, but I made a choice and I'm okay with that at this point. 
So when you began to cobble together the concept for your own restaurant, what were the rules? What was the idea and what was the intention behind doing this thing? One, that is nearly impossible to do well and succeed at. But number two, something that had been a force for pulling you away from your family for so long. How did you envision a restaurant that worked for you instead of you working for it? I mean, restaurants a year and a half old at this point. I don't think I'm there yet. I think the restaurant in a lot of ways has pulled me back. And the idea that moving to Maine, I'd work less has not really been the case. But it's also a new restaurant. We're still trying to figure things out. We were still opening during the pandemic and equipment was difficult to get. Permitting was challenging and still dealing with lockdowns. And so that really delayed our opening. So I just remember, I think our first night service was to guests who had reservations. Our first night service was for paying guests. We didn't have a real training or we were in the restaurant the day before. It was the first time we were allowed in. So from that moment, it's been a lot, but always working with the goal of At some point, I am going to remove myself from this equation so that I can spend more time at home. That's still, we have that conversation a lot. It's very important to me to never lose sight of that aspect of our conversation. And then the other aspect of it is I'm just far more organized about how I organize my life. I'm not sure how it is with you, but like my calendar is everything to me at this point. I schedule everything because I need to know all right, this is my moment to spend time with my family. So I need to schedule everything else around that. So that way, when I'm here, I'm focused and I'm with them. How has your perspective evolved from being a chef, which is singularly focused on this narrow stretch of things, and being an entrepreneur, which and a business owner, which now you're responsible for all of the things? So I am not the business owner. I am the I have equity in the business. I have been heavily involved in the creative aspects of this restaurant. So I don't want to come across as sounding that I am the business owner and I'm responsible for everything. We are part of a restaurant group. So I have a lot of resources. It was really important to me that when I started this, that I could have started my own restaurant or I could have worked for a restaurant group that I trusted that had a lot of resources, like they have a comptroller. They have an accountant. They have somebody who can help with development. And I made that decision so I wouldn't fall into the trap of just being all consuming about the restaurant and everything that gets involved in that. When you're a restaurant owner, I mean, you know it, you're responsible for everything. A lot of places can't hire a full on accountant or a full on HR person or all the other things that I think are important for a restaurant's health. And so I made that decision to purposely not be a sole owner of a restaurant with investors and instead to join this company that had these resources so that I had these resources to help me in my personal life. Let's talk about those resources because I'm sure everybody's listening is like, ooh, resources sound good. I wish I had some of those. Other than the people involved, I would assume that there are plans as well, that there's a blueprint, that there's a go-to-market, that there's infrastructure in place, yeah? Yeah. What does it look like? So we're a relatively small 
we have an HR, Human Resources Director of People and Culture, which I think is probably as important as any other job in the restaurants now, especially in this environment, especially when restaurants got rocked by scandal. I think it's really important that people feel like they have a safe place to go and discuss things that are at work that don't involve just going to the owner. I think that's been a big issue. If your direct superiors are the one creating a negative culture, how do you, where do you go? So having somebody who can take a step out of the restaurant, hear those things, and then address, like, I think that's hugely important for anybody, and especially the employees, especially the hourly. And you probably know this better than anybody, but like the accountant is probably, God, I mean, without an accountant handling the finances of a restaurant, the amount of money that goes out of a restaurant is insane. The amount of vendors you have, the booze, the everything, plateware, glasses, and just being able to keep track of all that, making sure that at the end of the day, you got something to show for it, making sure that you can make payroll, hugely important. So I would say those resources, just those two right there alone are what the secret success of a restaurant, the chef, the managers, the servers, the cooks, they're the ones that everybody sees. But those two, the HR and the accounting in the back, I think they're the ones that secretly keep all the gears rolling in that. Talk to me about how your perspective has evolved as it relates to when you're executing someone else's menu or even a menu that you're an active participant in. It's very different than having to tie it directly back to a per customer average spend. You've got to think about things today from a sales perspective that you didn't previously. And so how do you reconcile the very real, very present financial needs of the business with culinary excellence? I think those two are, so for me, it's the restaurant is to give the guests the best experience possible. We did a prefix menu. Our restaurant is one of the higher price points in the city, but we were aiming to go out there and say, okay, we want to give a guest an amazing experience. And I just look at our price per head is important to know if we're increasing, if we need to increase our check average, our price per guest, then it's super important that we give them the experience that goes along with that. And it's super important that we meet or exceed guest expectations, especially when everybody is very conscious about money and coming in. How do you like say, okay, we need to labor cost is high, food cost is high. There are multiple ways of going about doing that. Do you cut labor? Do you buy cheaper ingredients? Do you increase the price of the menu to get the price, the check average up? All these things go into, but ultimately the people are the most important thing. Labor's at this point of any restaurant, I think is going to run higher than they would like. And it's so hard to hire. And if you have good people, you want to make sure you keep them. So I'm always hesitant to just be like slashing hours or cutting people's pay. That's something that I think is dangerous in this time period. So you have to look at it the other way. I don't like the idea of buying the cheapest possible ingredients. I want to make sure that we are able to provide our guests the best possible food. The, one of the reasons I moved to Maine was to be near the seafood that we get from here. And like everything else, high quality seafood is not cheap. So for us, 
we really need to make sure that we're putting as much effort into giving the guests an incredible experience to make them want to come back. So it's a lot of pressure to make sure that anybody who walks in that door, it's the service, it's the drinks, it's the wine, it's the food, the presentation of the food, the cleanliness of the restaurant, all that has to be up to their level as soon as they walk through that door, because it's a lot of money. Dining out is not cheap. Isn't it interesting how when you're coming up in the industry in the early days, you look at all of these successful restaurants and because, you know, all you see is success. Nobody really focuses on failure. And you see that these people had this vision, they execute the vision and it's this beautiful thing. And then it scales up, not realizing that either it was through effort and strategy or through dumb luck that what really happened was they achieved product market fit really early. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, the key determining factor in the success of all of our places is, is this something that the people that live in this area want to buy? Was there a lack? And are we fulfilling that need? As your concept evolves, what are the conversations you're having around becoming a better fit for the tourist while being simultaneously a place that locals can rely on? Yeah, I mean, I think that when we first opened, our conversations were not geared necessarily towards what do our guests want? It was, what is our vision? What is our goal? What kind of food do we want to create? What kind of atmosphere do we want to make? What is it that we want to do? So it's very focused on how are we going to build this out? Now that we've built it and we've made it, now it's what can we provide for our guests? What can we do for our guests? What do our guests need? What do our guests want? And I think we've been able to kind of change that focus. And we've always been talking about like how important it is that our guests come in and feel like they have an environment that they feel comfortable in. But I definitely feel like we are less driven by our own kind of vision and trying to change that a little bit. We're not going to just completely reverse course, but I do think it's important to kind of take a look at all right, we know who our clientele is. At this point, we have a better sense of who the, who our guests are. And with any restaurant, I always feel like a restaurant is like a living, breathing thing almost. It kind of tells you what it wants to be. And if you can mold it in any direction, we've been very lucky that the kind of vision of the restaurant we want it to be is very close to what it was when we first opened. I've seen a lot of restaurants open up and then like hard pivot after three or four months because they're like, well, this isn't working. We need to do something else. And that can sometimes work. And then sometimes you look at that, you're like, oh God, I don't, I hope, hope they make it. So we've been very lucky. The fact that for the most part, we're just trying to improve on what we do every day, but we definitely talk a lot more about what we can be for our locals, what we can be for our guests and how that affects the restaurant. And while still being 12, while still being the restaurant that we open, I don't think those two things can't exist at the same time. Of course. I think that the most successful concepts are the beautiful marriage of those two things. How do you deal with overwhelm? I would assume 18 months in, there's still very overwhelming days. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I think it comes back down to just that New York training of just learning how to grind and just getting through it. I don't know if I'm 
taking care of myself in the right way when it comes to that. That's something that I need to start working on is do I pull myself out of those moments? Do I take a break? Do I allow myself to kind of pull myself out of the shit and take a look at it and kind of see the bigger picture? And that's something that I'm still working on because I am so used to just like, all right, when things get hard, just put your head down and grind. And that's where I think I need to improve upon is just, all right, don't work hard or work smarter kind of bud. It's hard. I mean, I think that's the lesson we all keep learning again and again and again, especially as it relates to burnout. If I give myself the grace of even just a few hours to take a breath and reset myself, I am so much better for myself and for my team and for my family. And it always feels like a selfish act. Never does it feel like a cathartic exercise. But it's so important. I was meeting with a group of restaurateurs that I coach. And the question that I asked them, which is the question that I'm going to ask you is, mistakes are great in the way that it means that we're growing and we're stretching and we're pushing our boundaries and we're learning as a result of that. But my hope for myself, my hope for them and the audience and for you as well is that we get in the habit of only making mistakes once. Because Lord knows how frustrating it is when we find ourselves repeating the same mistakes over and over again. When you look at the last year and a half and look forward to the next year and a half, what are the mistakes you hope you don't repeat? Big one for me and one that I remind myself a lot of and I'm hoping that it clicks is if you're working with somebody all day, every day, and you start to feel a certain way, if you have a grievance, just have that conversation early. Don't just keep going and let that build and get frustrated and then let something set you off or have something affect your judgment about that person. Because if you don't have that open conversation with that person, they don't know what's going on, but they can sense from you that something's not right. And then there's no dialogue. And it's just like, man, just have the conversation. Hey, can we just step over here for a second? I just want to chat with you real quick. And every time I do it, I'm like, well, that was a lot easier. I'm glad I dressed that head on and just took care of that. And it gives the other person too the ability to kind of come back at you. It's like, yeah, but let me tell you how I feel about this situation. And it's just like, yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Let's find a way to correct this. Yeah. You find out that person's feeling overwhelmed by something that they didn't tell you about. And now you're giving them the grace and you're giving them the ability to handle their issues or get whatever, get their time off or whatever they need. And Things work so much better. And it's just something that every single time I don't do it, I kick myself for it. And yeah, it's just have those hard conversations. I talk about it with our team all the time. Even when you're going to a table and you know a guest maybe isn't liking something and you're kind of just like, did you check in with them? Yeah, I checked in with them. It's like, but did you really have that like hard conversation with them? And so it's like the hard conversations are the ones that I think I always call it a hard conversation, but in reality, it's just like that one little conversation. It's never as hard as you think it's going to be. And it always just yields much better results. So just like therapists have therapists, like coaches have coaches. I have an executive coach. I've had her on the show. Her name's Alyssa Cohen. She's amazing. 
One of the things that she said on her episode that she's told me many, many, many times before, and it totally speaks to what you're saying is, she says that your success, your professional success as an entrepreneur is exclusively related to your ability to have difficult conversations. And the higher your ability to have those difficult conversations and the more tactical and empathetic you can be in those conversations, the more successful you will be. And she says 10 times out of 10, that is the hurdle that prevents people from becoming the person they could be and achieving what they could ultimately achieve. So totally up your alley. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I think a lot of it comes down to money. It took me a long time to get to a point where I felt I could really make a career out of this job. And it's like you come into it and it's like you work your ass off for however many years and you hope that one day your hard work, your attention to detail, all the things that you feel like are going to make you successful, you hope that they pay out one day. So that way you're not working your ass off at the age of 70 or 65 because you can't afford not to. And when I hear people complain about the increased price of restaurants or of service or tips or things like this, I just kind of look back at it and be like, people are making more money now in the industry than they ever did. And it's still just enough. It's not where it needs to be. It's not that middle-class life. People are still struggling like with rent and how do you eventually buy a home? I would love to see it in our industry one day that people could make a career out of it and not struggle and not work as utterly as hard as possibly that. And then one day may just burn out because they can't do it. And then they have to turn around and they're at an age where they really don't want to start a new career. And all of a sudden it's like, is this it? Is this what it's going to be for me? So I really think that we need to figure out a way to make sure that people can do this job and be proud of the job they do and feel like they can do it as a career. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with Guest Manager and Yelp ads? They experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Colin Wyatt. For more information on the chef and his restaurant, visit 12main.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.